Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Playlist Podcast, the podcast where we discuss film news, reviews, and any other pertinent pop culture items. I'm Ryan Oliver and I'm very excited today. I have two very, very awesome, very talented guests with me today. Uh, First up, she is a writer for The Playlist, Cinemaholics, Zimbio, Girls on Tops, and Film School Rejects. Please welcome Julia Tate. How's it going today? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. I'm very, very happy that you're on today. And then our second guest, he's a pop culture writer at Cinema Blend. He's the co-host of the Cinemaholics podcast, and he's a contributor here at The Playlist, Will Ashton. Welcome to The Playlist hey. podcast. Happy to be here. Very happy to have you guys. It's a it's like a Playlist slash Cinemaholics meetup, and I'm very, <laughs> very here for it. Um And a little bit of housekeeping before we get started proper. The Playlist Podcast is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoyed this show, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, be it SoundCloud, be it Stitcher, be it iTunes, however you get your podcasts. You'll get this show as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, Be Real, Indie Beats, and the various interviews that we have on the feed from time to time. So with the housekeeping out of the way, uh, we have a really packed episode this week. We have three movies we're going to be diving into in full. Uh, We're going to be talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as well as Rocketman, the Elton John biopic, and Ma, the new horror thriller starring Octavia Spencer. But before we dive into those, uh, when I have guests on, I like to um, ask if there's a a piece of media, be it film, television, whatever the case may be, that, uh, that we won't be discussing in full, but anything that you're into this week. So I figured I would ask you guys, and Julia, I'll start with you. Um, is there anything this week you've been checking out that you would like our listeners to to seek out? Sure, yeah. So on Friday, Netflix released their latest romantic comedy called Always Be My Maybe that stars Ali Wong and Randall Park. I had the opportunity to review the film for Cinemaholics, and I just found it to be an absolute joy. It's great and lighthearted. It really brings out the talents of Wong, Park, and a lot of really great supporting players. I've been a fan of Ali Wong since her stand-up performance with Baby Cobra that was also on Netflix a few years back. So I think it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of her, if you're a fan of Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat, and if you just like the romantic comedy genre. It's a really fun uh, addition to Netflix's Rolodex of content. And then the other uh, TV show that I'm actually watching right now is HBO's miniseries Chernobyl, which has its finale tomorrow night, and it's been a really harrowing experience watching the dramatics and the intricacies of that event play out on screen. Emily Watson, Stellan Skarsgård, and Jared Harris all star. It's a great acting piece, really great in terms of uh, chronicling the history around the really tragic 
uh, event that took place there. And I would definitely recommend people checking that out as well. Nice. I'm looking forward to checking both those things out. Sadly, uh, you know, just so much, so much craziness, so much life so much happening. Content. <laughs> yes, so much content. It's insane. But I've heard nothing but great things about Chernobyl, uh, despite the harrowing subject matter. And people seem to be really digging uh, Always Be My Maybe. I'm right there with you. I'm a huge fan of Ali Wong and Randall Park. Um, and the, the person whose cameo that everyone is talking about, which if you've somehow, (laughs) if you somehow don't know, we'll, we'll keep that mum for people. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to checking that out as well. Um, Will, what about you? Anything you've been checking out this week that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. I just, uh, finished season two of Fleabag this morning and I've been watching that throughout the week and that, that show, I mean, everyone, I think on Twitter has, uh, sung its praises, as they should. It's an amazing show, and uh, it's it's Phoebe Waller Bridge, right? I keep wanting to call her Phoebe Waller Bridge, but <laughs> it is, is it Phoebe. Phoebe or Phoebe? It's Phoebe. It's yeah. Phoebe. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, I'm really excited. I still need to watch uh, Killing Eve, but I'm really excited to see where she goes from here. I don't know if we're going to get a third season or not, but whatever she does next, I'm going to follow with interest for sure. I also just saw, um, I think last week, the documentary Hail Satan by Penny Lane. Uh, about the satanic temple and just like how they have kind of like this ongoing battle with the media and different government figures and kind of just trying to save their peace and uh, get their affairs in order. And yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a perfect documentary, but I think the subject matter is deeply fascinating and I think it handles it in just like the right way where it uh, mirrors their kind of uh, satirotic sense of humor, but it doesn't really make fun of them or what they're going through. It's a nice balance, I think, really works. So those are the two things I've watched this week that I got a kick out of. Nice. I've been meaning to check out Hail Satan as well. Um, I know it did play in Seattle briefly. Um, do, did you did you catch it in theaters? Is it available on VOD? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I don't know if it's still... Because we get things kind of late here. We're playing at the theater where I work. So um, I was able to catch uh, one of its later runs. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it's still in theaters at this point. I think it came out officially around like March or April. April. So um, yeah, if it's not on VOD, it's going to be there pretty soon. Cool. Well, that's Hail Satan. And that uh, hopefully is still out in theaters. Um, Or it is out in theaters, just you might have to look for it. We should also mention Fleabag is on Prime Video, Chernobyl is on HBO, and Always Be My Maybe is on Netflix. Um, So be sure to seek those out. Um, I've mostly been catching up with the things that we're going to be discussing here briefly or or here momentarily. But, um, one thing I want to give a shout out to, um, the Seattle international film festival is currently going. Um, and it goes, I think it's like a month and a half long festival. It's pretty long and, and they get a lot of, you know, really interesting up and coming films from all over the world. And, um, I've been super busy and haven't got a chance to watch a lot but I did get a chance to see In Fabric recently. This is the newest film from Peter Strickland, uh, who Ooh. did Barbarian Sound Studio and The Duke of Burgundy. And I don't want to say too much about it. I know A24 just put a trailer out for it recently. It doesn't have a release date yet, but it should be out by the end of 2019. And it's so strange and so bizarre. Again, I don't even want to give anything away. I don't even want to say the premise, but... Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this filmmaker. He he's very clearly still um, very much into his giallo influences, which is complete and utter catnip for me. But it is uh, one of the most 
lush, beautifully photographed horror movies I've seen in quite some time, and it's also hilarious. Um, and I'll leave it at that, but that's in fabric, and that will be out, I don't know yet, but hopefully by the end of the year. I heard it's really, really good, so I'm looking forward to checking that one out. It it is it is quite good. I was I was very very surprised. Uh, well, not surprised because I, I I like this filmmaker a lot, but it, it um, I I think he's progressed each movie, and and this one is the one I, I I have liked the most, and I really liked his previous two films as well. Um, so those are the things we've been checking out. Let's move on to our first review. Um, we're just going to go in order of how these movies performed at the box office this weekend, and we'll start with. Godzilla King of the Monsters. This is the sequel to the 2014 Godzilla film directed by Gareth Edwards. Uh, this one is directed by Michael Doherty, who did Trick or Treat and um, Krampus. And it's um, it's it's uh, it opened this weekend to at least domestically almost 50 percent less than the last Godzilla movie. Uh, it is also the third film, we should mention, the third film in the Monsterverse, so to speak. Uh, there was the 2014 Godzilla, there was 2017's Kong Skull Island, and now this, which will lead into next year's uh, Kong versus Godzilla. Um, but Julie, I wanted to start with you. Um, not only I wanted to ask what you thought about this Godzilla sequel uh, to the previous film, but also sort of what is what has been your history with the character of Godzilla since he's he's been such a pop culture icon for the last 60 70 years i i'm curious what your um relationship is with this character right so my actual knowledge and history of the character is fairly sparse i really i only understand so much uh the prominence that Godzilla has played throughout pop culture um, I remember one of the first films that I watched was the not-so-well-received uh, Matthew Broderick Godzilla film. Uh, and then I did see the 2014 Godzilla film that follows within this series, as you said. And I do remember uh, having a fairly good experience. I did have some qualms, the same that I had with uh, this uh, sequel as well. And so it's it's a bit sparse. I'm I'm aware of the characters and the different creatures that are portrayed in the film. But my knowledge of the mythos and the history of Godzilla is uh, fairly sparse, which I think is a blind spot in my own pop culture uh, knowledge that I need to work on. Got it. So, so you're not uh, so a little bit of a pop culture blind spot. Um, with, but with that being said, um, how did you ultimately feel about this new movie? Do you think, um, I guess more specifically what I'm curious about is the uh, the overall reviews of this movie seem to be fairly mixed across the board. I don't recall exactly what the Rotten Tomato score is, but it's like 40-something. It's it's pretty low. Um, but there also seems to be a um, a very big... Godzilla does, I mean, it has a huge following. Um, I, 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 we've, we've noticed through this last week, and there's been people who are pretty big fans of the series uh, really champion this movie. So I don't know if it's one of those, like, I, I don't want to open the can of worms of the uh, fans versus critics debate, which is like such a non-issue. But um, but I, I'm curious, it, ultimately, what you, you thought of this new movie um, with sort of all of that going on behind the scenes. 
Right. So I'm fairly in the middle on the film. I think the biggest draw for me was definitely what I think is the draw for a lot of people is seeing these larger than life characters really come together and fight it out and getting to see those really uh, unique uh, visuals and the sequences, which for the most part, I really enjoyed. I think that those were some of the highlights of the film. Uh, Where it kind of fell back for me was the sequences with the creatures and the monsters kind of felt marred down by the uh, continuation of a lot of the uh, human character storylines and uh, some character intentionality that I think got lost in a lot of what was happening throughout the film. Uh, One part that I will give it credit for is delving a little bit further into the mythos of Godzilla within uh, this film series specifically within their realm. But for me, it just falls back in terms of trying to create emotional connections between the audience and the human characters. I had a big, um, bigger emotional response when something happened with one of the creatures and I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't say which one, but I did get a little bit teary eyed uh, for one specific creature that did not make it out so well of this film. So I think for me, I had a great time watching these creatures come together, but the biggest drawback was definitely a lot of the convoluted uh, uh, human character arcs throughout that just didn't really uh, come together for me in the end. And that seemed to be the biggest, or at least one of the biggest um, complaints about the 2014 film was the, the lack of interesting human characters um, and it's, it's, it is, uh, peculiar that this movie kind of doubles down on that a little bit. <laughs> like it really, really doubles down on like the one dimensional human drama that, that it, it makes it hard to care for. Um, but, but we can return to that. Um, Will, I was going to pose the same question to you. What is your sort of overall relationship with Godzilla in terms of the pop culture lexicon? And what did you think of this film overall? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Godzilla. I, I've seen a good number of the movies, more contemporary ones than later ones. So I have seen the original Godzilla at least a couple of times. Uh, but yeah, I've always enjoyed seeing Godzilla. There's just something kind of like primarily fun about it. Just like just brings so much like childlike glee to see Godzilla like on the screen, just messing people up and, you know, just doing his thing. There's just something that that always fills me with joy seeing Godzilla like that, even the lesser movies like the aforementioned Roland Emmerich one, they still get a kick out of just seeing Godzilla do his thing, even though that movie itself is overall quite bad. Um, as far as the 2014 one, I feel like I'm a bigger champion of it than most people. I, I do acknowledge that it has quite a few flaws, um, many of which tend to come down to the fact that Aaron Tara Johnson, while a perfectly fine actor in his own right, is just a really boring protagonist. Uh, he just doesn't have like any interesting character development or arcs. He's really more reactionary to what's going on, which is fine. I think he serves his purpose in that film. But yeah, I, I, I do acknowledge that that film, as flawed as it is, I think it's really well structured. I think the way that it's crafted, it's clear that the filmmaker behind it, Gareth Edwards, uh, really cared about this property and wanted to like make something kind of Spielbergian as far as its approach. Um, but as far as this movie, Godzilla King of the Monsters, it it felt to me kind of like what people felt like when they were leaving that last Godzilla movie, which is that like I I acknowledge that like the first Godzilla movie, like the humans weren't 
great, but there was like at least some care there. I felt like Gareth Edwards did care about the humans to an extent. And even though like something's like like uh, Brian Cranston's like dire need to like save his wife can get a little like melodramatic at times, but there was like that inherent like uh, acknowledgement that like the series, as far as what Godzilla is about, is about like the consequences of like tragedy and like how we kind of reckon with that. And this film, like the human characters, like when they're not just like making dumb decisions and being just annoying and frustrating. I just never got the sense that Mike Dowry like really cared about any of them to a full extent. Like, I think there are like way too many of them. There are like, I don't know, like at least five or 10 characters too many in this thing. And I never really cared about what their motivations were or what they were trying to do. And anytime the monsters were not on screen, I really wasn't having much fun. But when I was, engage with the film was whenever there was just monsters smashing and crashing like julia said like I, anytime the monsters were on screen i was having a pretty good time i saw it at the imax and i saw it with a pretty active crowd who was having some pretty fun reactions as far as like there are shared annoyance i guess with just the, the humans and like how uh just tedious and annoying and petty they can be about seemingly this gigantic crisis that's going on but uh yeah i i I have similarly very mixed feelings at the moment for the film. Got it. Um, for me, my um, my knowledge of Godzilla is um, also not huge. Uh, admittedly, it's it's uh, like you, Julia. It's kind of a blind spot in my sort of pop culture knowledge. Uh, I have seen the the original nineteen fifty four film. I've seen the Roland Emmerich film, um, which we which we all agree is quite quite bad. And then um, I've seen the two uh, MonsterVerse ones, the Gareth Edwards one and this one. And um, and then another thing I, I probably should admit, so that if, if there's any really big Godzilla fans listening to this podcast um, and, and already want to tear your hair out, I'm not a huge fan of big things fighting big things. Like, it's just not, it's just inherently not my, not my jam, admittedly. Um but the the 2014 Godzilla, I liked so much about it. Like, I, I liked the craft of the movie. Will, you mentioned Spielbergian. I liked the pace. I liked the the concealment of the monster. I think that movie, because at least, it, this is me outside looking in, I feel like there are two facets to the Godzilla mythology, and hopefully I'm not talking out my ass about this, but, but at least, like, on the surface, it feels like there's the the consequences for human intervention, which is kind of what the original film is about dealing with Hiroshima and the aftermath of, of that tragedy. Um, so there's that aspect. And then there's the, you know, Godzilla versus Mothra, Godzilla versus insert the creature here of the like big monster Kaiju fights. Um, and I feel like the 2014 film for all its faults, specifically the human characters, um, which I think I agree with you, Will. I think there's care put into those characters in the movie. It's just they're just kind of one dimensional, which is right. unfortunate. I think Edwards cares about them. It's just they're they're just kind of bland, which is you know. But but the the pace of the movie is strong, and it's it has the perfect amount of monster fight for me anyway. Like I feel like that movie merges the idea of humanity's sort of uh, hubris and they're sort of like. Uh, you know, messing with Mother Nature, it, it it has that, and then it has the monster fights, and I feel like it it kind of for a Western version of Godzilla, they did it pretty well. Um, I am grasping at straws to find 
anything that I enjoyed about this new movie. <laughs> um, personally, I, I, uh, the human characters, they certainly, they double down on the one dimensional human characters, but in this movie, I feel like they do things that are so just for lack of a better term, stupid, like just things that you're like, wait, why are you doing this? How are you? This doesn't make sense. This allegiance doesn't make sense. Um, the fight sequences are like, you know, they're in the dark. They're hard to see. Um, I do think there's a lot of majesty and a lot of like beauty seeing like the wide shots of these creatures in full. Like there's some really gorgeous imagery in the movie, but, um, but like the fights are at the night. They're hard to see. They're, they're edited pretty choppily. And, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not, uh, giving it the time of day, that um i i should but i just uh like i said i've I've grasped me at straws to find like anything i that i found personally enjoyable about this movie yeah no i mean i I definitely get that i mean for me above i mean more than anything else it's pretty much just a disappointment that the film wasn't able to live on the potential of the last film and really expand upon the things i thought really worked in that film i don't know if they were just kind of reacting to the fan response or if it was just like this was always the intention to kind of do something like this but yeah compared to that first film it just feels pretty shapeless like there the way the film is structured definitely doesn't have that tightness of the the last film or just someone who really cares about like building up to the tension in the way that gareth edwards did and while i do think that leads to some fight fight sequences that are really fun and exciting uh, i do agree with you that uh the road getting there can definitely be pretty strenuous and I definitely was less a fan of the human characters in this one with the exception of Ken Watanabe, who I still think is excellent in this series. And I do think he does have a couple moments where he really shines as an actor, but I, I am kind of bummed that they leave things with his character the way they do. Cause I was really hoping he'd be the one thing that uh, really continues to flourish with this series, but yeah, I don't know what you can do about it now. Yeah, I think I'll hop in here with a little bit to uh, kind of going off of everything that's happening in the film. I feel like uh, there's a lot that the film is trying to do and say, I think, in terms of commentary. I think that uh, there's one moment where it's really explained how uh, these titans that are uh, being woken up, essentially, from the core of the earth, from different parts of the world, um, are here to kind of rectify the type of uh, danger that humans have put the world in and put each other in. And this idea of nature kind of balancing itself out with everything that humanity has done. And I think that with that happening, along with uh, the grandiose fight sequence that are really going on, I think that just everywhere from across that spectrum, everything just kind of got marred in between itself. And then you have the family drama, you have characters that I feel like we don't really get to know that well, get to understand their place within uh, this monster sphere. Um, I just, I feel like the film was trying to do and say quite a lot and just wasn't able to give a hundred percent to every part of it. Oh yeah. Especially the just sheer amount of characters too. I think, absolutely. yeah, I think you mentioned at the top too. It's like, and that's the other like kind of at least disappointing factor for me anyway like you have a pretty stacked cast in this movie from top to bottom you have 
Vera Farmiga, you have Kyle Chandler, you have uh, Charles Dance, you have Millie Bobby Brown, you have Ken Watatabi, who's who is good in the movie. He's I, I, I will agree with you, Will. I think he's like the one saving grace in the movie. But you have him returning and Sally Hawkins returning. But then you're like, there's also some good actors that you're like, what, why are you even here? Like, they have just nothing to do. Like David Strahan, you're like, what are you what are you doing here, man? Or or O'Shea Jackson Jr. too. It's like I just I just felt bad for almost everybody involved oh. because the movie just doesn't. Um, again, it, I think they're having fun. I, I certainly think they're having fun, and I think that like the the emotions are so big in these movies, and it allows these actors to go to that level. Like Kyle Chandler, especially, is like very very big and broad in the emotions of this movie, but. Um, you know they're just they're just not given enough to do which is which is a bummer yeah oh, i also wanted to point out since we're talking about the cast um bradley whitford's in the film and i feel like he was extremely miscast like i don't mm-hmm. get exactly like i know he was like supposed to be like a comic relief character but they have like five comic relief characters throughout the film so it's like you kind of have to like pick one like you can't have like five guys like making sarcastic jokes otherwise it doesn't make sense because, like, half the characters in the film seem to know they're in a Godzilla movie, and the other half are, like, playing it straight. And it's, like, this weird, like, tonal balance that never really quite makes sense. But with Bradley Whitford, like, I don't know if that character was written younger than he is, or if it was, like, written for, like, another person, and, like, he got cast at the last minute. But, like, he just, like, it never made sense to me, like, why he was playing that part. Not that I have anything against Bradley Whitford. I think he's a good actor, but he never fit that part, and I never really got, like, what his deal was like what like why he was there like what purpose he served other than like weird random asides that were more grating than charming so yeah i just really wanted to point out just how baffled i was by that character yeah i i thought most i mean specifically whitford but i thought like most attempts at humor in the movie too like fell completely flat on their face like yeah. I, I made a joke on Letterboxd that Bradley F- Whitford uh, wins, in air quotes, the the uh, the John Turturro award for a great actor in a really terrible comic relief role. Like, he's basically that role that John Turturro plays in the Transformers movies. Like, it's, it's that, like, really embarrassing, like, comic relief role that doesn't work. And um, I know this is going to get me in hot water with people, and I'm sorry, but I, I, I truly think that, like this movie is pretty much on the the same level as those transformers movies with the like without the hatefulness like it doesn't have that like michael bay ugliness to it like the terrible like like racist sexist homophobia humor that like those movies have but like as far as like dumb characters and like visual incomprehension and just like soul deadening filmmaking this was just like to to me it was i didn't see much of a difference it for for this from those movies and I, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but I'm just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's uh, so much uh, soul-sucking or dead or any any kind of uh, negative connotation or, or on the same uh, level as the Transformers films. I think that the film just kind of suffers from trying to do so many things at once and wasn't really willing to compromise on kind of being this monster fighting movie and trying to balance a lot of these other elements that just didn't work. I think that it suffers from a very convoluted uh, screenplay with characters whose intentionality shifts and changes here and there. I think that the huge draw for audiences is going to be 
these monsters coming together. And I think that if the film had really focused on that and really created those kind of emotional tie-ins, possibly between those characters and the creatures or for the audience to have uh, greater emotional reactions to the creatures, I know one in particular, they definitely definitely will, then I think that the film would have really, uh, really had a lot more positivity coming out of that. But I just think that it's just so marred down by so much that's happening with the human characters who, as both of you have discussed, aren't really that interesting to begin with. And then from just kind of the onset throughout the film, just intentions kind of shift and change with very little introspection or explanation. And I just wanted to hang out with Godzilla a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely understand that they have to have the human elements in this film because like it would be impossible for them unless they had like a $350 million budget to just have Godzilla and the monsters on screen all the time. But I just wish that like the human elements like felt like they mattered more than they did here. Like, like we were saying as, as one dimensional as the characters can be in that rich, you know, God sense that Gareth Edwards has like a sincere earnest appreciation for them. And I never really got that here. Like half the time, like, uh, I, well, Dari was like kind of like spiteful of these characters, or like he just didn't really invest too much in their own personal benefits. And like even like our main characters being like divorced couple who are like kind of like dealing with their baggage while like the world's falling apart and like using that baggage to like also destroy the world was like maybe in a better film that could have been funny. But here it just seemed like a really weird toy choice to have as like our lead characters. And uh, yeah, I just. Like like Julia was saying, I mean, there's like stuff in here that I do enjoy. Like I think as far as it's like thematics, I, I do really like that shot where without getting into spoilers, there's like a bomb that goes off and like you see like all these fish kind of come in the air. It's a little on the nose. Like a lot of stuff in the movie does kind of, uh, play, I mean, it's pretty obvious what it's trying to say. But I think like moments like that really stand out to me as like, oh, this is like what a better film of this could have been. But ultimately, yeah, it just feels so messy and kind of jumbled up into like this weird stew of a, a film that really just doesn't have its attendant effect in the scheme of things. Oh, understandably. So it, it, it feels to me like, um, you know, you mentioned the, the sort of, uh, spitefulness towards the characters. Like it reminds me, it, it feels like the, the worst of the two previous monster first movies of the two, 2014, Gareth Edwards one and then Kong Skull Island as well where like that movie had so many characters so many disposable characters the movie was really content to dispose of them one by one um also really like bad misplaced sense of humor in that movie as well um so I don't know it just feels like a a, a bad mixture of like the worst aspects of the previous two movies justice for Mothra yeah yes Mothra. justice for, for Mothra, Mothra. Poor Mothra. We'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I do love. I mean, talking about shots, I love. I mean, it was in the trailer, but that waterfall shot is gorgeous on IMAX. Oh um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I love that shot, and I really. I mean, that just makes me even more bummed out that things go the way they do with Mothra. It's just very disrespectful. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on uh, Godzilla: King of the Monsters before we move on to the next review? Yeah, I think I've said I've said the pieces that I would like to say. I mean, I will say that there's definitely a lot to be negative about, and I think we've only touched on some of it. 
but I did. I think I had more fun than YouTube. Maybe just you, Ryan, because I think just being there, like on Saturday night, with like a pretty active crowd, seeing like in a very loud theater in a big screen with like a beer in hand, just kind of having willing to have fun with it. And the right times, I was having a good time, particularly like the last like twenty five minutes or so. Even though that's where some of the more annoying human stuff comes into play. Uh, I think when it is just the monsters just smashing and crashing into things, my like primal, like kid like Lee kind of came into there and like it wasn't enough to save the film, but it was enough to make me like forgive it in certain segments. But ultimately, yeah, I, I was pretty disappointed with how this film turned out. Got it. Well, I'm really happy that I had you guys on as well to, to you know, to to exude some glee that, and that you guys had some glee from the movie. Cause I, I, uh, you know, I, uh, like I mentioned at the top, I can admit my blind spots. Like Godzilla is one of them. Big things, fighting big things is another one of them. Um, I, I will say like the previous film, this movie had an awesome trailer. And so mm-hmm. I was pretty, pretty like, you know, excited, but it also feels like a, you know, fool me once shame on you now fool me twice. Like, or fool me. I, Sorry, I totally butchered that saying, but you, you know what I mean. You guys know what I mean. Like, I, I feel well, like I was, <laughs> I was. We all like the Claire de Lune trailer. We got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think I don't know if people really comment on just how good Warner Bros. is is marketing their movies. Oh, because yeah. like, I mean, like for as inconsistent as their films can be, quality wise, to say the least. I think they've all like I can't think of a last like war- big Warner Brothers movie that had like a bad trailer like you know even though it's terrible as say Suicide Squad is that's an amazing trailer mm-hmm. Batman v Superman and Man of Steel and like all these movies Shazam like they clearly know how to market the movie and that's what makes me really nervous about um, the Joker movie that's coming up because that's a great trailer mm-hmm. as well and I have a feeling that movie is also going to disappoint but we'll find that out in October I suppose For we'll sure. keep our hopes up. We yeah. definitely will. And and that's a good point. Like, their their trailers are almost are always good. Like, all those DC movies, with the exception of Justice League, had a good trailer. Despite, oh, yeah. Like, that's a good point. Despite yeah. the, uh, you know, the varying quality of the movies. So so maybe I shouldn't have been too fooled, but um, I, I, I can admit this movie wasn't for me. Um, I guess the last things I would say, um, since I feel like, you know, my sort of take isn't maybe... Uh, as respectful to people who are uh, fans of this series as one might hope. So I, I at least wanted to point people in, in the direction of uh, a couple reviews online that uh, I, I think really like uh, treat the material with respect. And so if you are a fan of Godzilla and you haven't seen this movie yet, um, I wanted to point people to uh, Lindsay Barr's review over at the Associated Press, uh, to Josh Hurtado's review over at Screen Art Anarchy, excuse me, and uh, Matt Solar Sites's review over at uh, RogerEber.com. I think all all three of those reviews really, really, um, you know, treat the material with respect and like really dive into um, a lot of the themes of the movie. So I, I, I think uh, those are worth seeking out. Um, but if there are no other thoughts on Godzilla, let's move on to Rocket Man. Uh, which will you have not seen? So I know you'll have to hang tight here for a second sure. as Julie and I talk about it. Uh, we won't spoil anything, but uh, you know it is mostly based on a true story, so there there isn't mm-hmm. you know spoilers for real life. But a true uh, fantasy, true, f- a true a fantasy. True fantasy yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Rocket Man is the um, the musical biopic about Elton John, uh, specifically in the first half of his uh, life and career. It is directed by Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle, but also most notably was the person 
he was the AD, I believe, on Bohemian Rhapsody and was the one who ended up finishing the film when Brian Singer was fired. Um, and the movie stars Taron Egerton from the Kingsman films as Sir Elton John. And uh, Julia, uh, I, two questions like the previous movie I was going to ask. Uh, Overall, what did you think of Rocket Man, and uh, what is your uh, relationship with Elton John's music? Are, are you a fan? Have you been a fan? Uh, have you been more fair weather? Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, well, my personal close friend, Sir Elton John, he and I have a very close... No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I really... I uh, I grew up kind of from the music that my parents listened to a lot. So Elton John was definitely a lot of the hits that I listened to as I was growing up. Still a lot of the tunes that I really like and I listen to. So my relationship with the music was fairly strong. But in terms of understanding uh, Sir Elton John as like this iconic figure of pop culture uh i was very um my knowledge was still very sparse on kind of how he came to uh his fame and uh kind of the trials and tribulations within his own personal life played out so i was fairly uh going into the film i was fairly apprehensive just considering the swell of musical biopics that seem to be happening right now but i have to say i had a really good time watching the movie. I think that to Dexter Fletcher's credit, he does a lot of different things that I didn't really expect. I didn't really know what kind of musical stylings were going to play out throughout the film. And there were certain elements where it really felt like you were watching kind of an adaptation of Elton John's life that was taken to the stage and then adapted to film. So I really have to give... Uh, Dexter Fletcher credit there and the creative team a lot of credit there uh, the highlight for me was definitely Taron Egerton's performance I think that he is just so so good I think that he really takes on this icon that is Elton John and really kind of maneuvers his own feelings about uh, this person and what they went through and kind of takes their own take on the person instead of trying to embrace the person fully and just do a kind of minute by minute reenactment of what that person might have been like. Um, Egerton also does his own singing. So a lot of commendation to him for uh, taking that on. Uh, I think he sounded great. I also think that one of the things that I learned about the film was Sir Elton John really wanted him to do his own singing and sing it as if uh, he wasn't trying to do an impression of John, but more of just kind of him giving it his all. And I think that he did a really wonderful job. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think that there are a lot of, uh, especially towards the end, there are a lot of, you know, biopic cliches that the film kind of falls into. But by and large, I really appreciated the nuanced take that Egerton really brought to the role. I appreciate that Elton John was comfortable about showing some of the really darker more introspective moments from his life that made him not so much a sympathetic person and yeah i i had a really good time and i appreciate the uh the lengths that dexter fletcher went to make it not a kind of run-of-the-mill biopic absolutely um no i i i agree with a a fair amount um other than i think i think i was just cooler on the movie though I have warmed up to it upon leaving the theater um, after a couple days sitting with it. Um, 
the one thing I, I think I, I can agree on without any sort of um, disagreement is Egerton. I think he's, he's phenomenal in the movie. Um, the singing didn't do it as much for me, but I really appreciated that he, um, that he did his own singing and that it, it never felt like a mere, uh, just, um, caricature or like a, like an impersonation of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like no, no disrespect to Rami Malek. He did everything he could. Uh, and granted he was, he was marred by just one of the worst scripts and <laughs> directorial choice biopics that we've ever seen. Um, but like this, this feels like a, a flesh and blood performance and he is so, so good in the movie. Cannot sing his praises enough. Um, I think I liked it more in theory, but I, it did feel like uh, Fletcher, you know, it, it almost felt like he left the editing bay uh, at the Fox lot doing Bohemian Rhapsody and then went to Paramount with like a list of notes of all the things that Bohemian Rhapsody does poorly and was like, okay, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not going to do this. Um, and, and I feel like they maybe having Elton John's involvement helped, but you already touched on this to, to handle the darker aspects, to handle the sort of like loneliness at the core, um, you know, that he, he suffered through at the beginning of his life, I think is, um, you know, really bold that the movie goes there. I like, like I said, the choreography and the singing didn't always do it for me, but I liked that they made it more of a jukebox, jukebox musical and that they didn't, um, just do a paint by numbers. Like, and then they made this song, like, not to keep going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, but I, I think of the scene in that movie where like they're having an argument and then John Deacon, the bassist comes up with uh, the baseline for another one bites the dust right on the spot. And it's just like, this movie doesn't have near as many moments like that. Those like eye rolling walk hard, the Dewey Cox story moments where you're just like, Jesus Christ. Okay. We get it. Um, I feel like this movie doesn't avoid the bio cl- pick cliches but it certainly tries to tries its best to upend them um but there was something missing and and hopefully maybe we can unpack it in the next five minutes there's something just didn't quite click with me about the movie i don't know if it's the this sort of visual style didn't do much for me um i don't know if it's that i don't know if i'm just kind of burnt out on the the biopics because again i think this movie really took its time and its care to not to to avoid those things but i feel like a lot of it is there and maybe sort of stunted my enjoyment like the the uh you know there's a line where someone says like you know you got to kill the person you once were to in order to become the person you were meant to be or there's like the scene with the manager who are like these songs are crap you guys aren't gonna make it blah 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 and so it like it, it still has a lot of those cliched moments but i i do feel like it did its best to upend them yeah, definitely. I think that uh, for me, especially just watching the film, I think that the, that there's a lot, there's a greater sense of sincerity uh, for me, at least coming with this one, uh, especially continuing to go back to Egerton's performance, just all the the different ticks and um, kind of emotional cues that he takes, especially there's a really great scene between um, him and his father after his father has uh, gone on and started a new family. He has two younger sons now. I think that that was one of the more emotional high points of the film. I didn't have the opportunity to see Bohemian Rhapsody, so I can't speak to the various emotional high and low points of that film. But I felt like there was just a greater sense of not really trying to uplift the 
iconography of Elton John, but really trying to be a little bit more introspective and um, kind of break down this kind of larger than life figure. And I do think uh, I, what I can appreciate uh, from what you were saying about something not clicking with the film is that I think that the film tries to balance so much of these really personal introspective moments with these huge concert moments and editing sequences of um, Edgerton changing costumes and putting on different glasses and all these different things that are happening that when we're kind of in the spinning swivel chair of that and we get stopped on a very emotional moment in the film it can be a bit jarring but I think that that also is a really great testament to the emotional impact of some of those moments as well I, I can see that totally it, it's like it's it, it, if you had to describe the movie and this sounds strange it'd be like subtly unsubtle if mm. that makes any mm-hmm. sense like like these sort of like big bold like broad strokes that the movie takes it's certainly like not subtle from like a structure or biopic st- uh, standpoint but you like you mentioned that scene with his with his father and it's like there's there's certainly like to what Egerton is doing like there's there's such a subtlety to that and then a, like there's subtlety to the moments where he interacts with the people in his life um and one thing I did want to shout out, if, if we had to shout out a performance outside of Edgerton, because, of course, he's larger than life and fantastic. Can I movie. guess who it is? Because I think I might know. Yes, you, you can guess. Is it Jamie Bell? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it as, is. as Bernie Taupin, <laughs> his uh, his longtime songwriter. So good in the movie. Like, their relationship is... Like, really great. It's so good. And it's it's the most subtle to me. Because, like, even mm-hmm. though, you know, I think the guy who plays the father is, is not bad and Bryce Dallas Howard is not bad... But they they are saddled a little bit with a, those sort of broader strokes, uh, and mm-hmm. it's not their fault. That's just kind of how those characters are written. They they are they find some common ground, but there there's a little bit of vilifying to those characters. Whereas like um, Bernie's with Elton John through this entire thing, and it's like I, I think, it, and it's in the trailer, so it's not spoiling anything. Where. Um, they, they have, like, the only sort of, like, blow-up they have where he's about to go on stage. And he's like, people aren't paying to see Reginald Dwight. They pay to see Elton John. And then he, like, right before he goes on stage, walks over and apologizes to him. Like, he, like, I, the, the, their friendship, I think, is really, really, like, well-defined in the movie. And I think Jamie Bell is um, terrific in it. Right, absolutely. I will go back, actually, to the, uh, to the, parental figures in the film and actually take a little bit of issue uh, with it because I feel, especially given Elton John's involvement in the production, I think that there definitely might be some very obvious bias there. But at the same time, I feel that to have parents that he must have had and to grow up in that kind of environment that was not very healthy at times, I, I, I might say. Um, I can understand really maybe not wanting to give people who uh, could have possibly uh, schluffed you off after going to start another family or have told you that being your mother was a disappointment or what have you. I can understand not wanting to really give them the benefit of humanizing them to the point of sympathy from an audience. I could get that too, but I, but it all, it, like, I understand 
that impulse to do that, but at the same time, it's like even just a little bit of nuance there would have been. I think the movie would have been better for it if they okay. if they had yeah. given that to him. Um, they seem more like caricatures of the parental figures, a little than bit fully fleshed out, right? Yes. Okay, and and I don't and I don't feel that's a fault of the actors by any stretch of the word. I no. think that's more just a fault of of the writing and. Um, I totally like I, I see both sides. I see like if, if Elton John is like super involved with it that he may not want to give that the time of day. Totally understand that. But I think like for the stuff that the movie is good about being nuanced about, it I think it would have even enhanced it more if there was a little mm-hmm. bit of like a little bit of, of, of knowing where the parents were coming from. But um but right. then again, it, we're we're seeing it all from his perspective. And I think that's right. the point of the movie. So it may maybe it maybe it wouldn't hurt hurt anything or maybe it wouldn't have helped but um right uh i think another person that we should uh probably touch on a little bit in the film is uh richard madden's performance as the uh, kind of smarmy english manager who uh kind of takes elton john under his wing i will say i watched game of thrones i saw the live action cinderella movie i couldn't really get the richard madden hype and and then i saw this movie and i thought oh i get it now (laughs) yeah i I think he was pretty good i I do think it's like the similar thing with the parents like he's Mm -hmm. he's good in the movie but i feel like and again it's all from elton's perspective so i i get it but like um We've seen that character in countless musical biopics, right? Like, right. You know, the smarmy manager, the the taking advantage of, and and again, if that's how it happened in real life, so be it. But it 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 sure seems to happen to a lot of bands who have a movie made about them, like to the mm-hmm. point where it maybe draws suspicion. Like I know you said you haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and you shouldn't. Like it's it's a it's a really awful awful movie. But uh, they had that similar character for that movie. Well, and... even if we think about... Oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, no worries. Uh, That's all I was going to say. E- but even if we think about last year's A Star is Born, there was that very similar archetype that uh, Lady Gaga's character uh, kind of had to not deal with, but that was also an archetyped character that was that became a figure in her life that was very much of that same ilk right. of the kind of smarmy British pop star manager, if you will. That's a good point. I, I totally forgot about that. But yes, you're right. That character exists. And, um, so it's like, it, it just seems to be a trope in music movies. Like, it, it, I guess it just draws suspicion to me in terms mm-hmm. of, of uh, that happening in real life. And, and it's adapted for the screen. It doesn't have to happen the exact way it does in real life. But it just was like, it just almost feels like, man, did, did every band go through this? Or is this mm-hmm. just the, the best for adapting a musical biopic? But that's nothing against Richard Madden. I think he's he's really solid in the movie. And then, like, the last thing I have to say in regards to that, and, and maybe overall, unless you have some final thoughts you'd like to get to, I one thing that people are noting, and, and I have to give the movie credit for, too, is, you know, not to keep going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, but one thing that people really didn't like about that movie is how sort of uh, it straight washes Freddie Mercury, or at least it makes it so like, um, binary, binary and not the way it was. And I feel like this movie is certainly more complicated when it comes to Elton's sexuality, but also very open. And like the movie Mm -hmm. makes no, no apologies, no bones for who he is as a person. And, and I'm wondering if that is, um, you know, uh, Elton being alive and giving his blessing to that and where like the living members of Queen sort of like hijacked the movie until there was a version that they were satisfied with um, 
I, I, I don't know, but, um, this movie definitely takes more care and more, um, you know, more, more care, earnestness, into, yeah. more earnestness and more care into who he was, who, what his sexuality is. And, uh, I, I greatly appreciate that. Um, and it's, and it's R rated, like it's, it's not sanitized. This movie is very much earns its rating. And, um, I, I appreciated that. I appreciated so much about this movie while like not totally loving it, but there's a lot I, I admired about it for sure. Right. Yeah. I think for me, the feeling that I left immediately after watching the film was that this was the kind of biopic experience or film experience on Elton John's life that I feel like he really wanted. I think that it fit him. I fit, I think that it fits his grander than life, uh, kind of pop stardom and, uh, rock and roll stardom, if you will. Uh, I think that it really hits on the points of being this very big production while also balancing its smaller, more emotional, more nuanced moments. And it's very uh, earnest about uh, the type of person that Elton John was, not really sparsing out on the um, more uh, self-harming aspects that went, that he endured through his life and the kind of volatile relationships that could have contributed to that as well as just the types of patterns that he developed throughout his early life and his career um I just I I really enjoyed it I had a really fun time with it and again like I said when we started our conversation I think that I give uh Dexter Fletcher a lot of credit and the creative team behind the film a lot of credit for really trying to uh do something really fun and uh different with the musical biopic for sure absolutely and that 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 much for sure he he, credit to them for doing their best to upend you know such a a pretty well-worn uh genre and so i i give credit to them and uh and i guess last thing again not to keep comparing it to the that other movie but (laughs) i i left bohemian rhapsody wondering if i even liked queen anymore like it was that much of a just bad experience and uh i've been whistling i'm still standing uh for the last couple <laughs> days so credit to this movie for not <laughs> making me yeah question tiny whether... dancer has been going on in my head for the past couple of days so i definitely feel that <laughs> awesome yeah the credit to this movie for making me not question whether or not i like elton john's music still <laughs> like absolutely yeah <laughs> very much so uh well cool that is rocket man and uh so we will move on to our last review um we're going to kind of flip-flop here because I know, Julia, you haven't seen this movie, but Will, you have. So we'll we'll kind of tag team here and uh, we'll be discussing uh, Ma, which is the uh, newest film uh, from Blumhouse. It is directed by uh, Tate Taylor of The Help and Get On Up and Girl on the Train fame and uh, stars Octavia Spencer in, in sort of, um, I mean, I guess the best way to describe it kind of is like Carrie without telekinesis i guess would maybe maybe be the best way um uh, okay i haven't thought of it that way but that's an interesting oh fair enough describe it <laughs> uh at least that's that was on my mind a lot while watching that movie but uh i guess we'll just we'll dive into it um well what it, what did you think of uh of ma oh man um where do i begin uh i think it's a pretty bad film like as far as screenwriting direction things that would normally go into filmmaking standards but 
as a piece of entertainment, I had a lot of fun watching it as like a trashy, silly kind of like thriller horror film slash dark comedy. But I am very puzzled by its existence. <laughs> if uh, that's not clear already. No, I I, uh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't you kind of go into your thoughts first? Because I want to like kind of process of movie still because I'm still kind of like what just happened. I only saw it a couple hours ago. Oh, got so, it. Okay. Yeah. Say no more. I understand. Um, so I watched it Friday afternoon and um, I kind of liked it. Uh, I, I acknowledge and accept anything that's problematic about the movie, which there are many things I think problematic oh, yeah. about the movie. Um, Tate Taylor is an interesting filmmaker to me, I feel like, because... Yeah. Uh, I've seen all his movies, by the way. I should mention that. Okay. Even the um, Pretty Ugly People, which is not one I'd recommend, but for some reason I have seen it. Interesting. <laughs> I have not seen that, but I've seen everything from The Help on. And he, he like... Every time I feel like he's about to be put in the box of, like, you know, just... Uh, I, I don't know what the word is here. Uh, like I'll, I'll say the John Lee Hancock box. Let's just put it that way. I'm okay. trying to think of like a comparable filmmaker who's like not a bad filmmaker, but makes like pretty kinda like a generic C grade director for hire kind of guy. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. like, they're, yeah. like they're good with actors, sort of director. And mm-hmm. that's why people like working with them. But they're, they're like journeyman filmmakers, I guess would probably be yeah. a way to describe it. Um, you and know, Ron like, Howard type. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like, a movie like The Help certainly like fits in that mold, but then he makes Get On Up, which is, um, you know, speaking of musical biopics, probably one of my favorites to come out in recent memory. Like I, I really like, oh, yeah? yeah, I really like what he did with that James Brown biopic, and I feel like that movie structurally really, really like upends a lot of cliches, and I, I was impressed with it. And then he does Girl on the Train, which is kind of a pretty bland thriller, and then he does Ma, which is like, um. I have to kind of disagree about the direction anyway. I think the script for this movie is quite bad. I, I like it's that really bad. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really bad. Um, but this is one of those examples where it's like, if you have good direction and good acting, it can patch a lot of problems. And I think like the direction to this movie is like pretty strong. It feels very, you know, I mentioned Carrie. Um, it feels very De Palma esque in both like lurid subject matter, but done with sort of like an A level craft, um, I talked about that on last week's episode as well uh, with the perfection. Yeah, there are a couple like shots of Ma, like kind of like in the corner that seem to evoke the uh, Palma in certain ways. Yeah, there's like, a couple. I, I felt that more, yeah, there's at least one split diopter shot. I did right, notice. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think We're... there are two. I think there's another one when Ma's in the house with Juliette Lewis and um, whoever the daughter was. I forget the actress's name from Booksmart. But, uh, yeah, I think there's, like, at least two of those. So, yeah, it definitely seems like the, the Palma influence was apparent here. For sure. And 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 then, of course, like, you know, there there is a little bit of, like, uh, I won't get too deep in the, deep in the weeds, but I mentioned Carrie. And, and if you're listening, you probably already, like, you know, kind of know what that implicates a little bit. Like, you know, this character was, uh, you know, basically getting revenge for something that happened back in high school. Uh, won't give that away, but that's essentially the gist of the Octavia Spencer character. Uh, and she's doing it through the means of the uh, children uh, or, or the, the uh, yeah, the kids of the, of the people who humiliated her in high school. So it's like, yeah. it, it's like a small town sort of, everybody knows everybody. It's like the small Ohio town that, you know, you have uh, 
it, it, so, so it's like a sort of a sins of our fathers sort of thing. Um, and a lot of it doesn't make sense. I, I will oh, yeah. also wholeheartedly admit that. But I think <laughs> I think what really drives this movie is like the cast because of Tate Taylor being an actor first and people like to work with him. And so yeah. you have like he's um he's also in the movie, right? Isn't he the officer? He is. He's the cop in yeah. the movie. And then you have yeah. like for this type of movie, like you have people in like parts big or small way overqualified i think like i mean you have oh yeah you have octavia spencer of course but then you have juliette lewis as you mentioned you have Mm -hmm. um allison janney allison (laughs) janney why is she in this like i don't like her whole character is just like hey put away your phone octavia spencer i think that's like a five lines she has i think that's four of them and then like how they and then how they um what eventually happens to her character is just so bizarre because it really doesn't makes sense for what ma's journey was like it just seemed like a weird like okay i guess that's the way that's gonna go i mean it's not like like i mean allison janney's character had a point she was not good at her job so it's not like like she like there's like no revenge fantasy there it's just like she was just like hey do your job like yeah stop playing on your phone so i don't know what i don't get the whole point of that in particular but yeah another very random weird thing about this film for sure yeah for sure and then you have luke evans and missy pile in it as well like it's just like mm-hmm. you have a really really overqualified cast um and i think that's i and that almost like i think that's where my sort of like i i accept things don't add up i accept that things don't make sense um i i liked it in a sort of like lurid thriller way uh little like it's not totally dream logic-y i wouldn't wouldn't make that claim but like i i enjoyed it as sort of an exercise and it's like similarly to what you guys talked about with godzilla and watching it with like a crowd who was responsive that was my experience watching ma was with a crowd that was really responsive and i think the movie gets a lot of mileage out of how creepy and uncomfortable it is at times like i think a lot of that is staged well even though the sort of mechanics of it don't make a whole lot of sense um but but the only thing i'm confused by or or have sort of a um confliction about is i don't necessarily love horror movies that think they're above the genre and i'm not 100% sure I don't know if Ma does, but given the pedigree of the cast and the director, uh, sometimes I felt maybe they thought they were above the genre that they're making it in. But then other times it would come back down and be like, okay, no, they know exactly what movie they're making. Um, So I had a little bit of conflict there watching it. Yeah, I kind of agree. I definitely think the movie is at its best when it owns up to its campiness or it's like dark comedy leanings. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think when it's like full out, like, hey, we're just going to like go all crazy on this and just like really just just go nuts i think that's when the movie's at its best i think for some people that might be when they kind of check out but for me i was definitely way more engaged whatever the movie was willing just be like yeah we're just going nuts like i mean if you're in it uh, have fun if not like sorry but um yeah definitely i i really wish they spent less time like because it seemed like parts of the movie like they're trying to do like different genres like there's like more serious kind of complicated moments which aren't bad by for what they are, but I think they just didn't really fit what the tone of the film was ultimately. And I, I appreciate that there are scenes here where I can kind of see where I think Tate Taylor and the screenwriter were like kind of trying to do something a little deeper or maybe something a little more like to make it stand out a little more thematically. But 
those moments just kind of felt weird in a film that's already pretty weird because it just like they added like to things that just made the film tonally a lot more confused and narratively a lot more confusing so i appreciate that they are kind of trying to um do something a little more with this but ultimately i agree with you i think the films that's best ones just focus on octavia spencer just kind of going like betty davis wild and this kind of like romp uh horror comedy and i think yeah it definitely is hindered by it's like kind of different attempts to do different things at different times for sure i i I agree that it's it's really it's a really messy movie like there's there's no denying it's so all over the place and i agree that i it is 100 percent at its best when it's just letting the sort of genre elements rip and letting octavia spencer do her thing um and to me, like, almost that in and of itself was exciting because, like, I, I really like her as an actor so much. And, and I feel like she, you know, she she was great in The Help and, and she won an Oscar for that role. But I feel like she has been saddled with that similar role through a lot of her career. And so, uh, or at least a lot of her late, late era career. And so, um, I don't know, I thought this was a lot different for her and i i was really excited that uh you know that that uh she was granted the freedom to do so and um yeah i just i can't quite even put my finger on it because i i wholeheartedly acknowledge that this movie is a mess but Mm -hmm. there was something infectious and something enjoyable about it that uh that had me hooked maybe maybe it was its willingness to be wild despite being messy that just uh did it for me um and i don't know who i'd recommend it to necessarily either maybe someone looking for that similar type of experience but um a lot of a lot of the movie worked for me and i think i think it really came down to like those those uh crazier elements as you mentioned and the the cast as a whole i think was really good and i think that the um and I think some of the teenage actors are really good in the movie too. Like some of them are really annoying and really like a, um, and, and to no fault of theirs, but like really like cliched, uh, sort of mm-hmm. high school archetypes. But I think, um, some of the performances are good. I think specifically Diana Silvers, that's the person from Booksmart you, you, oh, okay. you mentioned, uh, which is funny because I literally watched this and Booksmart back to back. Oh yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, Hey, when I watched Booksmart, I was like, that's yeah. the girl who's in Ma. Um, but, uh, <laughs> It's a uh, yeah. I I I I kind of enjoyed it despite how sort of uh, problematic the whole thing is. Yeah, I mean, I definitely it reminded me a little bit of Greta from earlier this year, and I think I enjoyed it a little more than Greta because, like, like you're saying earlier, I think Greta is like one of those movies, at least for me, that like felt like it was a little above the campiness until the end. Yeah, like there's like I think that was a film. Like I know people really liked it, and I'm you know it's fine, but it felt like that movie like was trying too hard to be the Palma. And it was just like, I think when that film was like willing to just at the end be like cuckoo bananas, that's when it was actually fun. But for most of that movie was pretty boring for me. And this one, like I think has some similar issues, but I think this movie is way more willing to be kind of campy and trashy and not be above the genre more than it's not like definitely, like we said earlier, there's definitely times where it tries to be a little more serious minded. And I, can respect that at times, but ultimately I think, yeah, like this movie is definitely, I think a little more willing to be extreme and weird and just wild it out when it wants to be. And I think, yeah, it, it definitely had more entertainment value for me than that film. Same. And I would say both Greta for sure. Um, and the perfection as well. Uh, this, this okay. movie had well, more... I did like the perfection, but yeah, I know you were pretty critical of that one for understandable reasons. 
And I think it is like it is it is kind of a and I'm an unapologetic unapologetic Brian De Palma fan, so it's kind of like it's been crazy to see sort of his influence like reach people. Yeah, um, Stuff, definitely because his movie just came out like on VOD, right? Domino. And, yeah, like, which I've heard is pretty cool. rough. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what I mean. But just finding that like all these movies are coming out there, De Palma esque, and then like he literally has a movie and it's just like getting no buzz. I know. <laughs> so. Yeah, which like I apparently and we don't have to get too deep in the weeds, but that's like you know went through a lot yeah. of like behind the right, scenes he, problems yeah. yeah like he disowned it i think or something like that so for sure yeah definitely yeah i haven't seen it but i heard it was pretty rough i will see it eventually but uh yeah i've heard the same but th- this one definitely i think has uh less less bones about what it wants to be in that regard because i i agree on greta like a lot of that movie i i like like i like the build of it but it just like something was off like like it, it was like this movie should be like weirder like funnier weirder than it is even with the same sort of pace and it it just wasn't there and the perfection was just a little bit all over the place i think even more than ma for me whereas this one i think like it it, that consistent trashiness um which which i i like admittedly i wallow in in the trash cinema so like it 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 definitely fulfilled a need and it's crazy to see that playing like 2500 screens so Oh yeah. Uh, sure. So ultimately I, I, I had a really good time with the movie. Uh I, I don't know who I'd recommend it to, uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um Julia, do you have plans to catch up with Ma anytime soon? Oh man. <laughs> don't let her drink alone. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I I might. It's but the there have been so many different varying opinions and uh critical receptions of the film. Uh, that I might have to step away from this one. I'm also not a very enthusiastic fan of uh, Tate Taylor's filmography either, but I do really enjoy Octavia Spencer as an actress, and I was really looking forward to her just going absolute balls to the wall in a movie like this. But given how uh, kind of convoluted uh, the narrative has been, I might have to step away. I might have to uh, take a rain check on this one. Got it. Got I mean, it. It, it, it sounds like if you like gave it like a rental, maybe if you didn't see it in theaters, but like you checked it out on Netflix or like Redbox or something it might be more worth your while just for like Octavia Spencer's huh. performance alone, because yeah. uh, she goes like full ham in this and it gets really, really fun at times, her performance. So if you I are a fan that. of hers, I think it's worth checking out for that. Nice. Well, then maybe yeah. I will. It's yeah, it's it's something to say the least. Uh, it's definitely something <laughs> cool. I guess uh, any will any other thoughts on Ma before we wrap this episode up? Um, kind of going off your point earlier. The only thing I'll just say that I haven't already is that I do appreciate that, that a movie like this exists, even though I don't think it's perfect or even necessarily a good film. I think like there is no real film. Like I guess well, you did mention Carrie, but like. I can't really put it in like it's not like a film I can really describe as like any other film exactly like it's it's pretty conceptually different than most movies I've ever seen in my life and I do kind of respect that some producer some screenwriter just like pitched this to Jason Blum or whomever and they got it through the system and somehow got it made I do I have to admire when a film like this random and weird just comes out and it's on its own terms and it's just like yeah we made it because if it's Jason Blum it's probably was like like six million or something probably fairly small scale for like a horror film of this like so yeah i mean at the very least despite my problems with the movie and uh some things i think we acknowledge that are pretty problematic about it i do 
recognize that, you know, like there is going to be probably no other movie this summer quite like Ma. And I have to respect that. Totally. And and you're right. It was made for five million is the report oh, five million. Okay. of the movie. Yeah. So uh, I think it made 19 million this weekend. So it's already in the black. Um, sure. Which, you know, kudos to Bloomhouse and Universal for for that. Um, yeah, I don't have any other final thoughts yeah. other than I think the movie's pretty wild. Um, yeah. And I would uh, see a mod too. If they ever make a sequel, uh, I yeah, I, I would be curious if they ever did, um, and I I will I will leave it at that. Um, yeah, but I would I would be curious, and I would probably see it. Um, but that concludes this week's episode of the Playlist Podcast. Thank you, Julian, well so much for for uh, wanting to guest on this episode for for accepting it. Um, hope to have you on the uh, on the podcast uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, but in the meantime, Julia, where would can we find more of your work online? Yeah, sure. So I'm usually featured at The Playlist as well as Zimbio, and you can catch a few of my features at Film School Rejects. Girls on Tops, I recently had a piece published on director Deborah Granick and uh, and Cinemaholics. Yeah. For them, too. <laughs> nice. Best for last. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and also... Listeners, be sure to check out that Deborah Granick piece. It's really, really good. So, um, oh, thank you. Absolutely, good, good work on that. I, I really enjoyed that. And, um, and Will, where can we find more of you online? Sure. Um, yeah, you can check me out at Simoblend. That's primarily where I write these days. But yeah, Simoholics.com, the playlist, uh, a couple other places. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at the Will of Ash if you want to check out my stuff. Awesome. And uh, as usual, you can find me on theplaylist.net, either in writing or podcast form. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ryolli90. That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. Um, Before we close out, just a reminder that the Playlist Podcast is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, be it SoundCloud, be it iTunes, however you get your podcasts. And you'll get this show as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, uh, Indie Beats, Be Real, and the various interviews that we have on the feed from time to time. Uh, Thanks again, Julia and Will, for joining me. And listeners, we'll catch you on the next episode. Feeling like a man.